tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. For more than 20 years, I've worked pretty hard to bring you the latest technology in a way that's, well, I want it to be fun, informative, and super easy to understand. But today's podcast, well, I have to confess it was a challenge. In fact, here's a little secret. This podcast wasn't actually supposed to happen. You see, I was interviewing some expert astrophysicists, mathematicians, and astronomers, some really smart folks for part one of the Eclipse podcast series that we did. And I got really into the conversation and went really, really deep. We went into, I guess you'd say, deep space. There was so much information. I could see smoke coming out of my producer's ears as he listened to the interviews. And at one point, the mighty Mike James looked at me and said, This is way too scientific. I don't think our people will understand. What do you mean they won't understand? Too scientific? Well, let me tell you. Nothing is too scientific. Nothing is above my listeners because you folks are super smart. You've been listening to the show for years. And I know that you can handle black holes and time bending, dark matter, and possibly habitable planets. In fact, you are going to love this podcast. And at the end of it, I guarantee you're going to feel super smart. This next thought is a little different than what you're used to hearing from me. But in honor of the upcoming Great American Eclipse and of all of our expert scientists guests, let's fly out of the cage just a little bit. Technology and science together are discovering possible alternate realities and hidden matter, the mysteries of time and light, and possibly planets where there are other people. All from the contributions, would you believe, of eclipses. And everybody needs to know about this. And these are the type of topics that I explore in our Commando On Demand podcast. That if you're not already getting each and every one delivered directly automatically to your phone, tablet, or computer, you're really missing out. Whether you're on Apple iTunes or Google Play, just hit subscribe. Then you're going to get my podcast, even while you're sleeping. And who knows? Maybe because of all this increased intellect, you'll win the further respect of all your family members and friends. Hello Fresh, delicious meals at home in under 30 minutes. Start today at HelloFresh.com slash Kim. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let's start at the very beginning. In case you haven't heard, August 21st, 2017 is a really, really big day. You see, many of us in the United States, we're gonna be thrust into partial or total darkness. It's called the Great American Eclipse and it's coming. And there has never been one of this magnitude in history. I'm talking about ever. And this is no ordinary eclipse. This one is a total eclipse. If you haven't already, listen to part one of the Eclipse podcast series. You can find it on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or over on my website, commando.com slash podcasts. I packed everything that you need to know about the eclipse into this podcast, including viewing, traveling, maybe watching the live stream, maybe you want to take pictures of it, how to do it safely, and a whole bunch more. What do you want? 
You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it, pull it down. In this podcast, part two, we delve deep into the mysteries of eclipse science, technology, and astrophysics. We're going to reach into outer space for answers that eclipses themselves have helped generate. An eclipse is a phase of the orbit parameter of a system of planets in this case. And what we're going to have in the so-called Great American Eclipse, it's a solar eclipse. A solar eclipse happens when the moon, the earth, and the sun are exactly along the same line of sight. And basically what we are seeing is the shadow of the moon on the earth. If you listen to part one of the eclipse series, you would recognize that voice. That's Italian-born astrophysicist Nico Capaluti. He's a postdoctoral fellow at the Yale University Center for Astronomy and Astrophysics. This guy is known for his groundbreaking research in the study of these supermassive black holes, dark matter, and other mysteries of deep space and time. His definition of a solar eclipse takes a slightly more scientific tone than mine. So, Nico, is the August 21st eclipse kind of a basic event for you? or are you pretty excited about it? We are very excited because astronomy and astrophysics are fields that trigger lots of curiosity in the people. And these massive events that is crossing the whole country from west to east in the middle of August day will make lots of people interested in our field. Think about the cell phone or the digital cameras that we are using every day. These are technologies that have been developed by physics and astrophysics for doing basic research. So we are very excited of having this, especially in this period of the year. So people can go out, the probability of having a sunny day is very high, and uh, we will have lots of time to answer the question and the curiosity of the people, and that's what the duty of scientists is. Scientists not only have to do the research, but it's our duty to report our results and make the people conscious of what we are doing in the lab and sharing our knowledge and discoveries. In part one, I asked why eclipses are so special. And we got an answer from a historical standpoint. But in this podcast, I want us to really get a scientific viewpoint. And Andrew Fracknoy is more than happy to explain. There's an interesting tilt in the solar system. It's not a very big tilt a little more than five degrees, but the way the moon goes around us and the plane which we circle the sun with, that is the way we see the sun in the sky and the way we see the moon in the sky, is tilted by about five, six degrees. Those two orbits are like two hula hoops, which are in sort of the identical place, but tilted relative to each other. And most of the time, when the sun and the moon might have an eclipse, they're actually above and below each other, and the eclipse can't happen because of the tilt of the orbits. But every once in a while, where the two orbits are in a crossing mode, then eclipses are possible. So roughly, since the, uh, the orbit of the Earth around the sun is about 12 months, roughly every six months, we have eclipse season when eclipses of the sun and eclipses of the moon are possible. We don't always get a total eclipse of the sun during each eclipse season, but it's every six months. And so somewhere on Earth, there is an eclipse every six months, 
but it's of course only total eclipse if it's a solar eclipse over a tiny area like that spot that I've been discussing for August. So eclipse aficionados uh, travel thousands of miles to be in the right spot, so to speak, for every eclipse. But for most of us who can't afford that, when an eclipse comes to us, it's a big deal. I can't get enough of this guy, Andrew Fracknoy. Andrew's the chair of the astronomy department at Foothill College. He's active in the American Astronomical Society Eclipse Task Force and the Astronomical Society of the Pacific and National Science Teachers Association. He's involved in so many science and observatory groups. This guy even has an asteroid named after him. How cool is that? Commando on Demand is brought to you in part by our friends at Dreamstime, the world's largest stock photo and video community. The right image anywhere, anytime. Download current images and videos today for only 20 cents each or for free. Visit Dreamstime.com. That's D-R-E-A-M-S-T-I-M-E. Dreamstime.com. As we go deeper into space, I think about NASA's spacecraft. They rely on solar technology to operate. Dr. Michelle Thaler knows all about those things. She's an astronomer and the deputy director of science for communications at NASA headquarters. So, Michelle, will an eclipse affect NASA spacecrafts? Well, yes, actually it does. Our spacecraft around the moon use solar batteries. They need solar panels and sunlight. So the eclipse will block the sunlight, meaning the batteries will run down. And of course, we at NASA are aware of this. We prepared for this. We're gonna be monitoring the health of LRO, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, which is currently orbiting the moon, taking wonderful pictures. And exactly how the batteries respond to this darkness will even help us design better batteries in the future. See, that's what I'm talking about. Michelle knows her stuff. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to leave the Earth's orbit and go even deeper into space. Nico, as we're traveling, do you want to explain what exactly you do? I'm involved in research of studying black holes in the first billion years of life of the universe. To do that, we need to employ infrared and X-ray telescope. To do that, we have to use telescopes in space. And the reason is that our atmosphere, it's not transparent to infrared light and X-ray light because X-rays from space are deadly for the human DNA. So NASA in 1999 launched a great mission that's called Chandra, that is an X-ray telescope that is basically as tall as a four-story building. And if we don't cool enough our instruments, the noise will dominate our observation. So we have to go in space when the temperature is very low to keep this instrument very cold. I would like to encourage everybody to go online and look for the video of the deployment of Chandra from the space shuttle. It's outstanding. It's a really a great mission. It's something that only the skills of NASA scientists or, or scientists throughout the, all the universities working on space science in the United States are doing. The crew's been given a go to open the payload bay doors, which they are in the process of doing at this point. Yeah, I need some right yaw. Yeah. We'll have to go try again, right? 
the space program of the United States, it's something that has to be kept up and everybody has to be proud of this. Nico, I just have to brag on you for just a little bit because your accomplishments at the Center for Astronomy and Astrophysics are so amazing. You and your team have recently designed a major observational project involving NASA's three great observatories. You also just discovered a large population of hidden X-ray sources showing, get this, that there are three times as many obscured supermassive black holes as unobscured ones. Astronomers now know about host galaxies because of your great work. So how do eclipses help you explore the skies for these hidden black holes and planets? Eclipses have been very important in the studies of gravity. In particular, gravity is what revealed us both dark matter and black holes, and eclipses have been one of the fundamental proofs of Einstein's general relativity theory. According to the theory of general relativity, every celestial body with a mass can change the space-time around it, including the sun. So what do we expect to see when we observe a solar eclipse? Since uh, the sky gets dark, stars appear in the sky during an eclipse. And because the space-time around the sun has been cured by the mass of the sun itself, the position of the stars in the sky is it's slightly shifted from the position where we expect to see if they were not right behind the sun. And this has been explained by the distortion of space-time from the sun mass. And this is exactly what Einstein predicted. So eclipses have been very important. But I want to add another thing about eclipses. Modern astrophysics now is able to observe eclipses of extrasolar planets in front of other stars. So basically, eclipses are now the way to discover planets orbiting around other stars. And more than 200 new planets have been observed with this technique around other suns, not belonging to our galaxies, but far away from us. And among these stars or planets, 10 of them might have conditions of habitability similar to the Earth. So eclipses now are powerful method for finding possible places for extraterrestrial life. Two little men in a flying saucer flew down to Earth one day. Looked to left and right of it, couldn't stand the sight of it and said, let's fly away. So there you have it, extraterrestrial life. Not exactly what you expect to hear on a tech podcast, I get that. But actually, these two subjects are more related than you might think. And who better to talk to about E.T. than Andrew Franknoy? Andrew just happens to have served on the board of trustees for SETI. You remember SETI. That's the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. If you want to learn more about SETI, I actually did a podcast about how scientists are using radio waves to discover life on another planet. That podcast is called A Twist in the Search for E.T., and it's from February of this year. It's really fascinating stuff. But let's talk to Andrew, because Nico sparked some curiosities in me, and I bet in you too. I mean, do eclipses illustrate to you any possibility at all? Think about this. For these alternate universes, or maybe even extraterrestrial life. Well, there are a couple of things that I think are pretty interesting. For example, we now know that eclipse is possible because there's this remarkable coincidence. As seen from Earth, 
the size of the moon in our sky and the size of the sun in our sky are exactly the same. And astronomers have actually looked at this situation from all the other planets in the solar system, and it's not true anywhere else. For example, on Mars, the moons are much too small to cover the sun, so you never get a total eclipse on Mars. But on the Earth, it's possible. So this sometimes makes people feel that we're pretty special compared to whoever might look at eclipses on other planets because we've got this remarkable coincidence in our skies. One of the other things connected to uh, extraterrestrial life and the possibility of finding perhaps our cousins among the stars is that we are using a technique very similar to eclipses to find planets orbiting other stars. This has been one of the great discoveries of recent astronomy, is that we've been discovering planets orbiting other stars. And that's quite difficult to do because stars are incredibly bright and planets are really small and dim. So how can we find in the glare of a brilliant star like the sun, a tiny planet going around it far away in space? And one way is to look for an eclipse. When the planet gets in front of the star, it won't completely eclipse the star, but the body of the planet will get in front of the star and make it less bright, make it a tiny bit dimmer. And we've had a spacecraft up in space called Kepler, which has been measuring this for 150,000 stars in the sky, taking pictures and seeing if any of those stars get a little bit dimmer on a regular basis as planets orbit them. And we've been remarkably successful. We've actually found thousands of planets orbiting other stars using this eclipse-like technique, which is called the transit method of finding planets. And not only have we found so many planets, but we found a number of planets that resemble the Earth that have a solid surface like the Earth, that have the kind of temperature conditions where water could be liquid. So these are prime candidates as we search for the possibility of life elsewhere. We think that it's going to need planets like the Earth, and such studies are revealing that planets like the Earth are actually out there around other stars. This is fascinating. So what you and Nico are saying in a nutshell is that not only does time act differently in space during an eclipse, but eclipses have actually revealed certain planets that have similar orbital patterns or maybe other elements that are similar to planet Earth? Yes, exactly. And in the far future, with this technique, we might select a series of candid planets and we will follow up them with modern telescopes like, for example, the James Webb Space Telescope that will be launched next year that is will be basically the replacement of the Hubble Space Telescope. And this telescope will be powerful enough to reveal molecules in the atmosphere of this planet. And hopefully within 10 to 20 years, we will be able to see around this planet where molecules like water itself can be present. So eclipses are the base for very important discoveries. Okay, now you're going to feel really smart because probably the most significant eclipse-based discovery was proving, are you ready for it, Einstein's general theory of relativity. 
Now, this literally opened the floodgates of science, technology, and astrophysics. But wait a minute. We just received a transmission from the rocket man himself, TMRO's chief astronomer, Jared Head. He's joining us now to explain Einstein's general theory of relativity. Space-time is curved by matter, and that curve is experienced as gravitational force. That simple sentence sums up one of Einstein's greatest contributions to physics as we understand it. Satellites' trajectories, paths of light, and the passage of time that you and I experience is all relative to this curvature of space-time. It's what allows things like gravitational lensing, black holes, and other curiosities of physics to occur. So I wanted to know, who got the bright idea to use an eclipse to prove Einstein's theory? I mean, we all know that Einstein got the ball rolling, but who actually got the proof? English astronomer Arthur Eddington led an expedition in 1919 to observe a solar eclipse and compare the positions of stars near the sun with their predicted locations on an accurate star chart. If general relativity was at work, then those stars should appear slightly off. And what do you know, the imagery proved that the light from the stars was bent ever so slightly. Einstein's theory continues to make waves in the science world long after he proposed his theory. And speaking of making waves, Einstein's theory led to the discovery of an intriguing kind of wave. We have basically studied the universe only by using uh, the electromagnetic spectrum of light. So basically by watching the universe and seeing the light coming from the universe. But last year, there's, there's been a breakthrough in, uh, in astrophysics and we discovered gravitational waves. Gravitational waves still are, is a product of the theory of general relativity and it has opened a window into the study of both dark matter and black holes. We basically are able to see black hole merging. So basically from, from two black holes, we ended up having one bigger black hole after a collision. And this experiment called LIGO is one of the most challenging technological endeavors that astrophysics uh, embraced in probably the last 50 years. See, I told you that you were going to learn a bunch of great stuff in this podcast. But dare we go any deeper than this? Did you even ask? Come on, you know me. I'm Kim Commando. If something needs exploring, I'm totally there. Grab my hand. Let's go even deeper into space. This is outer space, the void that exists between celestial bodies, including Earth. It's not completely empty, but it consists of a hard vacuum containing a low density of a whole bunch of things. I'm talking about particles, plasma, hydrogen, helium, electromagnetic radiation, magnetic fields, neutrinos, dust, and cosmic rays in most galaxies there is evidence that 90% of the mass is in an unknown form called, are you ready? Dark matter, which interacts with other matter through gravitational forces. So, Nico, 
What exactly is dark matter? Dark matter is the most abundant form of matter in the universe. But as the name says, dark matter is not directly detectable uh, because it doesn't emit light. So the way we have discovered dark matter is through its interaction via gravity with bodies or celestial bodies that emit light. So the celestial objects that emit light turned out to be much less than the total amount of mass that we see. And we know that dark matter is about 80% of the total mass of the universe. But the nature of dark matter is still uh, uncertain. So what we are looking for is new unknown particles that are not emitting light or emitting a special kind of light. In my cases, what I focused is looking for a new particle that is called sterile neutrino that has the peculiarity that is much, much heavier than regular neutrinos like the one produced in the sun. And these particles can decay into a regular neutrino and an X-ray. And we observe the cosmic X-ray background with a NASA telescope called Chandra that is sensitive to the X-rays. And we were looking for special signature in the spectrum of the cosmic backgrounds. And we hope to be able to say something within the next 10 years about the natural dark matter. There are other candidates, particles for, uh, for dark matter. Um, some particles are called WIMPs, that stands for Weakly Interactive Mass Particle, which means that are particles that interact only with gravity or through the weak uh, force. And re most recently, there have been claims in the literature from theorists that even black holes formed during the Big Bang uh, might be the dark matter. So this is one of the most exciting fields of modern astrophysics that we are exploring now. And now this field actually is at the edge between astrophysics and particle physics. And I think that the two fields are actually in the future will merge. There won't be a big difference between physics itself and astrophysics. So in simpler terms, this means it's possible that alternate realities really do exist because you can measure them even though you can't see them yet. Uh, depends what you mean about reality. <laughs> Astronomy, astrophysics, scientists, and mathematicians making these trailblazing discoveries hand in hand with new technologies. Now, what amuses me are the superstitions people used to believe about the skies, eclipses in particular. You see, the Vietnamese used to believe that a huge frog was consuming the sun. And then the Nordic folks, they thought that wolves were actually eating the sun. And in ancient China, a dragon feasted on the sun, giving the Chinese their word for eclipse, which means to eat. See, makes sense. Meanwhile, in Hindu mythology, a god's head flies off into the sky and swallows the sun, causing an eclipse. Now, although technology has enlightened most of us to what's really happening in space, there are those who still believe I know it's crazy that the earth is flat. Eclipses still scare some people even today. And if you hear your neighbors banging on pots and pans during a solar eclipse, you wanna know why? It's because they're trying to scare away the demon that is causing the darkness. Don't laugh. A lot of folks believe in this. Well, this does make for a good joke. It's not very productive or healthy. When you believe in things that you don't understand, then you might suffer. 
And this is why I've dedicated my entire life to helping others, people from all walks of life, understand technology. Because tech can be fun, but not knowing tech can be dangerous. Because for every terrific new gadget out there, there's a potential trap for the uninformed. So that's where I come in. I investigate, I inform, so that this way you can enjoy technology and then use it to your benefit rather than being a victim to, say, scammers who want to ruin it all for you. So I'm really glad that you made it here to the end because we traveled off the beaten path. You've learned about some of the latest discoveries happening in astronomy and astrophysics. And we got to sink our teeth into some real solar eclipse science. I think that's kind of fun. We had a great time putting this podcast together. It's vital, informative, it's necessary. And as we try to comprehend this historic interstellar event, this is going to be the first solar eclipse to traverse the United States while reaching totality on U.S. soil exclusively. This is a really big deal. So I hope you're going to have your eyes on the skies on August 21st, 2017. I certainly will. We'll be in Casper, Wyoming. And if you like this podcast, do me a favor and head over to iTunes or Google Play and give it a five-star rating and a terrific review because this helps more people find our podcast. And as you know, when it comes to knowledge, it's all about sharing. And I'd like to say a special thank you to the folks who helped me put together this podcast. It was a lot of work. Uh, first up, Vicki Morgan. She did a fantastic job putting together all the interviews and the scripts. Thank you, Vicki. And also to the mighty Mike James, of course. I'm Kim Commando. I actually host the nation's largest radio show about digital lifestyle and technology. I have some 6 million people tuning into my broadcast every week. And you can watch my show, you can listen to my show, and you can find my show on a station near you by heading over to the official homepage of the Kim Commando Show. That's commando.com, K-O-M-A-N-D-O.com. And hey, by the way, if you haven't already, make sure that you get the free commando.com app. It's available for free on iTunes, and for all your Android devices, you can find it on Google Play or your favorite podcast player. Because not only can you get this podcast delivered automatically, but also our other wildly, insanely popular podcast called Tech News This Week. Kim Commando is brought to you in part by iDrive. Back up all your devices on just one account. Use promo code Kim for 75% off your first year. iDrive.com, promo code Kim. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.